Hi, friends, family, loved ones. Welcome to Cast the Line Podcast. It is May 10th, a sunny Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers, to those of you who are your own mother. Happy Mother's Day, guys. Um, you know, sometimes I just got to hit record before I have a chance to think. And um, it could really be a challenge to clear your mind and to really just kind of tap into um, spontaneity and the unknown. I find myself constantly thinking of things to say and what am I going to talk about? And I find that all of that ends up feeling a little contrived when I listen to it back. It all feels pre-planned and premeditated. And, you know, that probably works for people who get used to that format, who get used to, you know, maybe larger shows that are produced that have writers and there's definitely a formula to all things, you know, just like there's a formula to songwriting, to storytelling. And I'm not trying to break that mold by any means or be some sort of trailblazer, but I just find that when I just open my mouth and talk and it, I get a lot more out of it. It's more healing. I just don't know what the direction is. And I think that that's really been the main, um, mission of 2020 for me is to trust in that is to trust in the creative process is to trust that um the adventure is going to take me where i need to go and that has brought such joy into my life recently i can't even describe it to you guys it's just i i am either rediscovering, remembering, or experiencing for the first time this sense of spontaneity and adventure that I haven't quite experienced, not like this. And it's um, really beautiful. It's inspiring. Um, I think between this podcast and my web series, Hanging Out, I've really tapped into something that is giving me life, that is um, making me feel very much alive and very much in the moment, very much present with those things. And it comes with risk. It comes with facing fears. It comes with, um, you know, the, the possibility of seeming foolish or amateur, making mistakes of failing. All of those things have become not so much an enemy to me as they once were as an ally as a reminder that I am fully in the moment. I am fully engaged and present and, you know, or at least more so than I have been in the past, you know, what is being fully engaged actually look like? You know, what is, what is being fully present? Like, you know, I, even in these short little instances, I can feel my brain processing what I mean to say and it's translating and it's being turned into symbols and those symbols are coming out as language. It's like, how quick is that information coming out? Those sort of things fascinate me. Is information moving faster than the speed of light and sound? Um, we're living in an incredible time where we have access to a world of information at our fingertips. We have access to higher forms of education. We can become anything we want to be and all we need is the will to do it and the dedication and the and the persistence to put the time into it you know this year has been incredible for me for that because i've just i've just kind of 
dove into the deep end on so many things and I'm learning how to swim. You guys are witnessing me learn how to swim in real time. I'm, I don't know where any of this is going. I don't know where this podcast is going. I don't know where my web series is going. I don't know where my music's going. I don't have any certainty in my life. And I don't think I ever have had any certainty, any certainty in my life, but I'm learning how to embrace that. I'm learning how to embrace the uncertainty of life and realize that it's so fucking awesome to have that uncertainty and to not know where something's going. It's something I feared so much in my life. And, and I don't know if that was inherited from you know, society, from my parents, from partners that I had been with. Like, I don't know where I got that fear, where, where I really needed to have a plan, where I really needed to have an identity, where I really needed to have my finger on the pulse. And I needed to, I don't know where this need came from or where it comes from. And I don't know if I need to intellectualize it. I don't know if I need if I need to discover that, all I know is that I, um, have got a taste of freedom from, from that feeling. And it feels so good. It feels so good to not be such a slave to, um, the pursuit of comfort, you know, the pursuit of comfort is an interesting thing. You know, we, we say we're a nation, um, that has the right to the pursuit of happiness. Well, the pursuit of happiness is so subjective what makes us happy, you know? We're such a bipartisan country because what people view to be what makes America great is so divided. So one's pursuit of happiness could be so different than another's pursuit of happiness. So for me, we often, I shouldn't say we, I often get caught up in this pursuit of comfort, um, whether that's financial stability or kind of, having my future all planned out and having, you know, so much planning goes into being a creator and to being a full-time artist, you know, from album releases to live concerts, which aren't happening right now, but now it's going live on Instagram or Facebook um, to putting stuff on Spotify, to doing regular YouTube releases, to staying relevant on Instagram. There is a whole industry and a whole full-time business wrapped up in creating content for you. Um, and for me as an artist, what that looks like is very little sleep and very little time to myself because I'm constantly in this hustle of the pursuit of comfort. Like, um, and, and I wouldn't say that that is, it, and I, it's not, it's not my driving force. It's not at all, but sometimes I mistaken my driving force for this, for this idea that, oh man, if I could just be a little bit more consistent with my income, if I could, you know, just make a little bit more money here, maybe I can purchase things without any guilt, you know? The, the stuff that I buy right now all get poured, poured right back into my creativity. You know, I, whether I'm investing, investing that money in studio equipment, video equipment, um, putting money into maintenance on a vehicle that usually takes me around the country, whatever it is, my money is spent on furthering my creation. Yet when it comes time to spend that money, you know, maybe, maybe a couple hundred bucks to you is no big deal. But to me, a couple hundred dollars is a large investment, a thousand dollars, even more so. So when I spend that money 
there really is this part of of my brain that just it it, it gets triggered and I feel immensely guilty like oh wow I could be spending this money on other things well what other things and whose voice is that where does that come from you know I'd like to just blame you know all all the people in my life who've um kind of wanted to instill this sense of stability in me but you know I'm not here to blame them I'm not here to blame anybody I'm just I'm curious where this stemmed from and I'm curious um why I feel the need to constantly um critique myself for my creative process and for the way in which I spend my money and for the way I, in which I use my resources and and whether or not I'm surviving in the right way, whether or not I'm investing my money in the right way, whether or not I'm living the right way. Well, what is the right way? You know, I think that is vastly different depending on who you ask. And I'm starting to ask myself, what do you want, man? What are you into? What are you getting into today? How are you feeling? Um, a concept that has... Um, typically and previously been considered very selfish to think about yourself in these ways, to put yourself before others. You know, it, it comes from this whole school of thought that you should always, um, you should always put others before yourself. And I think that that is a good, um, I think that that's a good practice in theory. And I think that it comes from a good place, but I think in, in order to accomplish that and in order to do that in a healthy way that will benefit all parties involved, I think you have to know how to take care of yourself. And that's what I'm doing. I'm learning how to recharge my batteries. I'm learning how to feed myself properly. I'm learning how to step away from my work um, in a healthy way. I'm learning how to get on proper sleep cycles. All of this is contributing to a better way of approaching things. And it's all contributing to better understanding and self-love. And all of this stuff is kind of wrapped up in it, you know. It's interesting to me because today is Mother's Day. And I could not be more thankful for the women in my life who've been such a... a a pillar of light, of wisdom, of understanding, of nurturing in my life, but also of, um, you know, I don't, for lack of a better term, tough love. I'm, I'm thankful for the women in my life who, who don't approach our relationship with, with kid gloves, who don't walk on eggshells around me, but who give me, um, who just give it to me how it is. And, you know, and all the women in my family come to mind. My sister, Chayla, who, this is a podcast that I'm going to, you know, this podcast you're listening to right now. This is my conversation with her, uh, my sister, Summer, my sister, Sarah, my mom. Like I, I think about these shit, my grandmas, my, my aunties, like, God, I think about all the women in my life right now, whether they're mothers or whether they're not mothers. Um, just incredible. I think that I've come and learned to really appreciate the um, feminine qualities of mine. And, uh, I've, I've, I've learned to nurture those qualities. I've learned to love those things about myself. And, and I've really, I've really been able to develop those parts of myself because I've seen powerful women in action. I've seen what a woman owning their power looks like. 
And so that inspires the, the, the feminine part of me and it inspires that part of me to, to not only tap into that nurturing quality, but to tap into that fierceness, that passion. And I'm so thankful for that. I think it's interesting because I'm learning how to be my own mother right now. I'm learning how to be um, that nurturer for myself. I'm learning how to give myself tough love, how, how, to, how, to be, how to protect myself, how to so many things. And I couldn't learn those things without having amazing role models um, in, the, in the community of women and feminine energy, you know? And that's not to say that this feminine energy is gender-specific. Feminine energy lives in all of us. It really does. And I think the, the better we understand that we are both male and female, the quicker we're going to be able to reconcile this bipartisan form of thinking that we have, this really dual um, black and white sort of thinking we have, which is so narrow-minded. Like we have to, and I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but I, I believe for me, this is something that needs to be re-examined and evolved past this, it's this or that. Because it's so much more, you know, and for me, that's really started with recognizing the fact that I have both feminine and masculine energies living in me. And when those energies are in balance, I feel whole and, you know, and I think of the, the yin and yang that, well, the yin has a little, has a little, um, black circle in it to represent the yang. And same thing with the, with the yang has a little white circle in it to represent the yin. It's so it's good to have that balance. And, um, I think about these balancing energies a lot, but I just wanted to take that moment to, um, shout out to all the, the beautiful women in my life, the mothers, um, mother nature too, you know, this thinking about this virus, thinking about COVID, um, about this pandemic, thinking about Mama Earth and how she's tired <laughs> of our shit and how um, I know there's a lot of healing happening. I know everybody's so quick to, there's a lot of stuff going around right now about whether masks are are beneficial to us or not, whether COVID is government funded or not. There's just a lot of confusion and a lot of questions people have and i get it like when people are scared and confused it brings up a lot and and i think the first thing we do as a as that herd mentality goes is to just look for somebody to blame for all of this well you know to me the bigger picture here is that it's our planet that needs healing and we got to remember that whether we like to be quarantined or not whether we want to get back to the sense of normalcy or not this is giving the earth a chance to heal this is giving the earth a, a chance to, to to regenerate a little bit and it's not like you know the earth is resilient it's going to be here forever long after humans have come and gone i believe that you know but i think about mother in the sense of this planet and how grateful i am for that i think about mother in sense of the moon and about those subconscious energies um, again, just kind of tapping in with that femininity and, and that, that wisdom, that occult knowledge that, um, it's so grounding and balancing, but also, you know, I have a lot of complications with my own relationship with femininity. I have complications with, 
you know, my relationship with my mom, I love her very much and she's the world to me and I will never um, consider her anything other than a pillar of light in my life. But relationships are always complicated. They're, they're multifaceted. And I realize as I heal those relationships within myself, I can begin to heal them externally, you know? And so that's, um, that's my thought for this Mother's Day is one, to continue down this path of really acknowledging and embracing my own femininity, of finding my motherhood, of how to nurture and mother myself through difficult situations, and also to recognize mother in the external of, of that of the powerful women in my life, and also in the, in the macro of, of the planet, of Mama Earth, of the moon, of, of the universe, you know, the which I, for some reason, when I think of the universe, I think I think of as a feminine energy. I don't know where that comes from. It's just intuitive. Um, and, but there you go. Intuition. Intuition is a, that is a, a feminine quality, a feminine trait, a mother's intuition, a mother's love. And speaking of mothers, I get to um, discuss, I get to have a a wonderful conversation with one of my favorite mothers. And that's my sister, Chayla, somebody who has been such an amazing friend to me, somebody who's been a bandmate, who continues to be a bandmate. We just started a new band um, called Little Ghost. And, you know, we're just getting off the ground, but definitely look for that band. Um, look for some releases in the future. Look for some performances when we can gather again, or maybe just a live stream. But I can't say enough kind things about Chayla. She has constantly challenged me to be a better human being. She's constantly taught me what it means to be an adult and what it means to be responsible, what it means to um, care for people and to and to be a nurturer um, and to be real, to be honest, and to set boundaries. So many things, so many things I... I can attribute to my sister Chayla, all my sisters, all the women in my life, but this is specifically about my sister, and this is a conversation her and I had. And I'm really excited to present this podcast to you. This is going to be another two-part um, podcast, and this is going to conclude season one of Cast the Line. This is this is crazy. I I more so than anything feel like I really need to. Uh, embrace my creative process recently. And for me, that includes um, seeing things through to an end. And this podcast is coming to a close, hanging out. My web series is coming to a close, not a close forever, but just the closing of a chapter. And I like that. I really like that because it feels like I'm going through this process of understanding that everything has a birth, everything has a death, everything is reborn. And I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with my sister and I hope you enjoy it. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Uh, welcome to Cast the Line Podcast. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I could attribute that to my next guest, who is the lovely, the smart, the uber-talented, the stylishly dressed, my sister, Miss Chayla Lujan. 
Thank you. Welcome Thank you. to the podcast. Um, Chayla is not only my sister, she is a mother, she is a bead worker, she's a musician, a teacher. Her name literally means disciple or student. So she's a student of the universe. She's an herbalist. Uh, I could go, the list goes on and on, Jayla. What <laughs> don't you do? I think it would be easier to list the things that you don't do. You don't play football. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not very into competitive sports. There you go. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> it's quite all right. We're just we're just hanging out, having a conversation. Podcasts are a little different if you haven't done one before because it's like you think about the idea of being on a show and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's an interview. It's like, but really, we're just having a conversation and just like we do all the time. Chayla and I are um, starting a new venture. Um, as many of you may know or may not know, her and I were in a group called The Haunted Wind Chimes together, which... Um, we're around for about 10 years and that fizzled out. Um, but, uh, we're kind of, um, reinvigorating our love for music and our love for one another in a sibling band. And we're going to be announcing that real soon. Um, we've named the band, but I'm going to hold off from that announcement (laughs) so we can make a big deal out of it. But we do have a show coming up, um, whether or not this podcast comes out before that show or not, that's uh, kind of irrelevant, but we have a show coming up March 6th, and that's going to be at Brews Ale House with our friends Lonesome Heroes, as well as Talisa Alvarez. So we're really stoked about that. And um, Chayla, what's going on in your world? What are you up to? Um, Just raising a baby and being a businesswoman. <laughs> yeah. How, does, how do you juggle those things? How do you juggle being a businesswoman and a mom? It's hard. It's a... Mostly I'm, I'm being a businesswoman between the hours of one and two and, uh, nine, three in the morning, (laughs) both. (laughs) Gotcha. One and two is in the afternoon, nap time. time. And then, (laughs) yeah. And then the the late evenings, if I don't fall asleep. So you're like burning the midnight oil and that's kind of how you, how do you, how do you stay on top of that? Like health wise, are you tired a lot or? Yeah, if I get, I mean, if I get too tired, then I have to tell myself to go to bed. So, but I, I mean, I function pretty well without sleep to a certain extent. <laughs> what is it about us Luhan <laughs> slash, slash Trujillos who like, who are restless and just like pretty much don't take any time off? I don't know. What I is no that? idea. Because I'm the same way and I, I really struggle with it. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I found that my body basically will rebel against my schedule eventually. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm not taking time to like take care of myself and to take proper breaks, my body basically will just break down right. and force me to take a break. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to change that. Like, um, but do you, do you find that to be true for you? Do you feel like, do you feel like you always work up to that point where you just like are totally exhausted? Yeah. T- to me, it's not, uh, it's like not physically, like it doesn't manifest physically. It, it's all emotional and I'll just start getting, even more agitated or irritated and super sensitive and Mm. emotional. And then I'm like, Oh, I need to take a nap (laughs) or eat something. (laughs) Usually. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I can't tell you. I mean, I, I've recently discovered that, um, to not make any decisions when I'm one emotional, two tired or three hungry Mm -hmm. because I'm just like, a, I'm a totally different person when totally. I'm on those things. It's like those Snickers commercials. I don't need Snickers, but that's real. They're real. It's like... Hangry is real. <laughs> <the> <laughs> I don't hanger, care what you say. <laughs> the hanger is real. 
it's it's for sure. So uh, when you say businesswoman, what what does your business entail? So I uh, I uh, started a small uh, bead working business about. Oh, this year actually will be my 10-year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Um, I do uh, beaded hat bands and earrings and, and uh, just beadwork like traditional. And what's the name of the company? Roadside Remedies. Roadside mm-hmm. Remedies. Yeah, I've uh, obviously seen uh, Chayla's work. Her hat bands are phenomenal. And where did where did beading come into your life? Well, our mother was a beater. Right. I remember seeing looms around the house. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Like I, I know about like the end results, but I never really cared to learn what, what went into it. And now that I've seen you kind of take that venture, it, right. it's a lot goes into that. A lot. It's very tedious and intricate work. And, uh, our mom, uh, she, she taught herself and then was also, uh, taught by a f- a famous uh, Dene artist. I, I would have to find his name. I, she's told me his name several times. Um, who taught her how to bead, and she wanted to make belt buckles and <clears throat> uh, medicine bags. And she taught me the loom, which is mainly what I do for hat bands when I was six. Oh, and wow. and it was just like, oh, I'm going to show my my daughter how to do this real quick. And 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 she did, and I learned, but I didn't. Nothing came of it when I was right. six years old. You know, sure. it was just me trying to hang out with my how mom for it, a little bit. How did it resurface in your life? <laughs> when I um was 20 I came back when I was or it came into my life when I was 23 and I uh started dating my now partner uh and he um let's see he took me to a friend of his house and I saw the first hat band I saw this uh beaded porcupine quilled hat band oh, wow. on the cabinet that his um, friend's mom had done um, not knowing at the time that I would eventually take over that business that oh my where gosh. I found that beaded hat band. Oh, yeah. No so that's, that was kind of serendipitous and I don't believe in, uh, you know, coincidence. So it was just something that was supposed right. to happen. It was kind of a shining moment for you though, mm-hmm. huh? like an aha moment. So, and I just told myself, well, Oh, I want to do that. How, how do I do that? So and you got taught by your mother when you were six, is that mm-hmm. what you said? Loom work. Yeah. But when loom I was work, six. And then it resurfaced as a 23 year old. Mm-hmm. That seems like a magical age yeah. for that to resurface <laughs> as well. So that that's amazing, and um, so is is beadwork the the sort of bulk of what you do as a business person, or is there more? Uh, yeah, I mean that's my main focus now. I mean before it was the the haunted wind chimes. I was doing uh, I was doing a lot of the business aspect of that, as you know, like the books and the taxes and the merch. Um, but that all of that stuff that I learned how to do with the chimes kind of has been able to roll over to roadside remedies and like, oh, I know how to do these little small bits and and promotion and, and whatnot. And, um, so most of it is beadwork. That's my, that would be my solid business right now. And then the other stuff would be, um, just trying to make it work, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Being a musician, I I guess. Well, I also, well, I know just, just from personal experience that you've, you've hired me to do workshops down in La Oh yeah, I do that now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I have so many jobs. You're so busy. You don't even know what you do. <laughs> I, oh yeah. So, uh, last, uh, let's see, last spring I did a, um, a, a harmony workshop for this program called take note. Oh no, it was called detour 
but it's part of the Take Note Colorado that's uh, funded by the Bohemian Foundation right. in, in Fort Collins, who are amazing patrons of music who donate a lot of funds to, to provide free music yeah. to people all over Colorado. Big fans of music yeah. and have amazing. incredible wealth. So that's always mm-hmm. a good, that's good for yeah. the arts community. <laughs> <laughs> and the Chimes, you know, have played a the Bohemian Nights Festival several years in a row, and they've Mm -hmm. always treated us really good. Yeah, absolutely. So it was really cool to um, do a workshop in La Junta, who, you know, nobody knows. Nobody knows anything north of Colorado Springs in Colorado. You know, Pueblo doesn't exist, let alone... south, you mean? I mean, sorry, south of (laughs) Colorado Springs. Nothing exists in Pueblo, and then anything southeast of Pueblo certainly doesn't exist, right. which is La Junta, and La Junta where is, I live. La Junta is east of here towards yeah. when you're driving towards Kansas mm-hmm. and Lamar and Practically stuff Practically like Kansas. And yeah. how did you end up in La Junta? Um, my, my partner, Jacob Opie, who I, you know, we call him, he uh, got a really good grown-up job there. <laughs> and uh, we were on the road a lot at the time, and I knew that if uh, he was going to move out there and, and I was going to continue to travel a lot, then I had to kind of you know, move out there to, to make it work. Sure. And so I made that commitment, like, okay, I'm going to move out to La Junta. Was uh, it a bit of a culture shock for you? Super culture shock. <laughs> the people there, it's so crazy. It's just an hour from Pueblo, but it's Kansas. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, in, interestingly enough, um, I watched uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, not not too right. recently, but in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And it, as a lot of people know, that, that movie was written by, uh, the book was written by Ken Kesey, who was part of that whole beat. Uh, era mm-hmm. of, of writers and I was doing a little research on him as it kind of pertained to the Grateful Dead and kind of that whole camp that they mm-hmm. were rolling in. I was just like getting super into the Grateful Dead at the time too. And then I find out that Ken Kesey actually is he's from La Hunta. He's from La Hunta. He was yeah. born well he was born in La Hunta. Yeah. And I'm like, why is there not a Ken Kesey statue no. <laughs> in that town? So yeah, so La Hunta is is an interesting place. It means the junction. The funny, you want to hear the funny story? About absolutely, that? <laughs> absolutely. Go ahead. So when when me and and Ovi were we were trying to manifest where we wanted to live, and we're like, oh, we want to live. You know, we want this kind of house, wood floors, and lots of windows, and and a, a fenced yard for our dog, and all of the things, and and we want to live in the junction, and and in Pueblo, the junction is the, know, Mesa is junction. the, the Mesa junction. It's the area you want to live in, right over by like yeah. Ab- Abriendo and Broadway, Colorado, where the old wireworks used to be, and so that's the junction. So that's the junction. So then, so we get all of those things. Only it's in La Junta, and La Junta means the <laughs> junction. And we're like, okay, damn you, Coyote Trickster Universe. Like, yeah. you knew what I fucking meant. <laughs> but you got to be no, specific. It's, it's so true. That's what I've learned about manifestation in the universe. When it comes to the universe, it's like, be specific. Like the Be specific. Like, I, mm. I think the universe teaches us constantly, like, how vague we are, you yeah. know? And so, yeah. Don't don't be afraid to ask for specific things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, how many times have I asked for a bag of cash? You know, right. I'm, just, I'm working on that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So so you're in La Junta currently. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you lived in Pueblo for for some time, but you weren't born in Colorado. Where were you born? I was born in Bloomfield, New Mexico, which is about ten miles outside of Farmington, which would be the bigger city. Right. So Far Corners area still. Right. And um, I mean, I haven't talked about my birth on the show, but um, I was a home birth and you were a home birth as well, Mm -hmm. right? I was. Mom, our mother had me in water. I was a water birth. And I believe it was just her and and our dad and a a couple of friends of theirs. So um, 
I think the water birth was a last minute decision that our mother made too. She's like, okay, I want to, I want to do this. I want to have a home birth. So, um, our dad went and bought the biggest tub of water he could, which was at the time a brand new horse trough. (laughs) I remember, I remember driving around looking for that thing. (laughs) And you were, uh, you would have been three, three, right? Yeah. So, and I'm younger, he's older than me, all of you out there. Um, (laughs) It's like it was one of those long, elongated uh, metal skinny horse troughs. And there's a picture of mom in there, like, you know, full out labor pain. It goes to show you how shitty my memory is because <laughs> I always thought it was circular. No, it wasn't circular. No? I mean, nowadays it would be like that's you see birth, wow. birthing pools and my birthing tubs and they're is, circular. Mm-hmm. is not good. But like I always pictured you being in a circular, being born in a circular yeah. horse trough. No. <laughs> So, so you're a water birth, you're born in, in, in Bloomfield. Obviously you don't have memories of no, your birth, but, but how, how has that influenced like your, um, how, how did that influence like the way that you gave birth? Oh, uh, well, uh, I always knew that I would have a home birth, uh, in a completely natural birth whenever it came time to have babies. And, uh, that was something I never, ever questioned. Mm-hmm. Like to me, thinking about a hospital birth and not that I, I don't judge how any babies right. are being born at all because it's hard work no matter how you do it. Absolutely. And, um, but I, when I would think about being in the hospital, I would get a little bit more nervous than thinking about just doing it at home, which is the, quite the opposite for, you know, that's the norm. The norm is to, Oh, I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to have an epidural or a scheduled C-section section. And that's going to be it. And I'm going to come home and I'm going to be a mom and it's going to be, nothing's going to change. And that's not the truth at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything changes. So, so yeah. So knowing that my mom had, you know, she had you at home unassisted and then she had me at home. Um, and then also our grandmother had all of her babies at home too. Like it was our grandmother, my, uh, our mom's mom. So our grandmother, Arlene, really, she had I didn't all of her, her babies at home too. So it was just, that was a norm in my life of the women in my life. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a, what a legacy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that, that makes me think of the, the photo of you and mom and grandma at your baby shower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's incredibly powerful. That's, this is really important to me too, to have this discussion and, <laughs> and do this podcast with you, Chayla, because it's, I, I've always really felt disconnected from, from my, um, my grandparents mm-hmm. and, and even further back, you know, and, and, and not necessarily by choice. It's just, I, I've always like, there's always like this fear or guilt and I, I don't really know where mm-hmm. that came from, but it's cool to hear that, you know, you being a, a member of our family and a sibling, how you honored that and mm-hmm. how you've kind of honored that, that tradition. So you were born in, in Bloomfield and, um, what are your earliest memories of, of, of that? Or do you have any? I don't, I don't have any memories of, uh, my first memories don't come until I was, I was probably around three. And that was when we moved to Ganado, Arizona. Really? You don't remember Albuquerque? No, I think I have like one vague memory of, uh, a, a few vague memories, like of dad, uh, riding the bike. I remember there was like a baby seat on the back of the bike and there was a park close. And I remember the dog Bruno that came into the house. And I think I remember being babysat at some point at somebody's house. And those are really, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. And I, this is something I'm trying to unpack too, is that I don't really have a very good memory in general. Yeah. Same. That's why I'm doing stuff Mm -hmm. like this because I'm, I'm trying to teach my brain how to not only have a better memory, but to remember things accurately. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So there's not a lot of like, 
I can't remember a lot between three and I don't know, 23. So you don't remember <laughs> Albuquerque much, but you do remember, um, Ganado. And mm-hmm. so what are your, what are your earliest memories of, of Ganado? And Ganado is on the, the, in the Diné nation mm-hmm. and that's where, where we grew up. And what was your, what's your memories of that place? So my, my first memory was the, the day we moved there. And I remember, um, we moved into a double wide trailer and it was me and you and Co- our little brother, Takoto was just born really he wasn't mm-hmm. even maybe a few months old or so right so he was born in 89 in albuquerque in albuquerque and then we we moved to ganado i think it was still 89 when we moved to, yeah because like, i was three yeah mm-hmm. so it was like 89 going on 90 it was it was like the summer of 89 i think that makes sense or no yeah or maybe even the fall because cody would have been born that summer i want to say it was like getting maybe august maybe like end of summer Mm -hmm. because do you remember do you remember it raining i remember it raining yeah Yeah. i remember it raining i remember wearing a mickey mouse a blue mickey mouse (laughs) sweatshirt and a skirt and a headband and i remember going into the house and our older brother ravi was there so he was what how old is he he's 15 years older or is he 11 years older than me he's eight years older than me so he would be 11 years, 11 years older, older than, than you so yeah. he would have been um 14 or so 15 and he did the airplane on me like or he like got on the floor and put me on his knees and like lifted me up in the air on his knees so that's oh like my, my and it was raining and i remember our mom had this old gold station wagon and I loved, I don't know why I loved that car. And there was like taped back seats. I don't know if that's a real memory or not. I think it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I was talking to um, my buddy James on another uh, podcast episode of like how, how much of my memory, I believe, had to do with photo albums mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah, and looking totally. at photos. Like our, our parents were very avid photographers. Like mm-hmm. they both had 35 millimeter cameras. They both shot on film, color and black and white. Like I remember that. You remember that camera strap that dad used to have that was really, I don't yeah, know if you remember. Yeah, he lost that. Yeah, he lost the camera but, too. I remember that. But I just remember them taking tons of photos. Mm-hmm. So so for me, a lot of my memories of, of that time in our life is really assisted by by seeing old photographs mm-hmm. because I don't really have, I don't know what's what's memory, what's not memory of that era. And so, so we moved out to Ganado, which... I think we were too young to even realize the culture shock of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was only three. So I think it just became, it became a big part of my life. That's, I mean, that's all you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I didn't really have a culture shock either. I basically, I was born in a small town. Then you were born in a small town. Mm-hmm. And then we were in Albuquerque for like, it seemed like a just, a, just a minute. <laughs> and then we were, now we're in Ganado, Arizona, which is on, on the Diné Nation. And, um, yeah, it was, it was such a, it, it's weird because it, for me, it's like only in retrospect that mm-hmm. I realized that of how much of a culture shock that mm-hmm. was. Because when I was a kid, I just was like, oh, this is, this mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. I just remember seeing all the, like the, the sort of high desert landscape, all mm-hmm. the red dirt and mm-hmm. sagebrush and just like, it, it seemed like a perfect place to be a kid, to be totally. honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that how you felt? Yeah, I did. I felt, I mean, like I said, I don't remember, but I think I, I adjusted pretty well because I was so young and it was just it's kind of feels like it's the only place I knew until I moved until we moved to Colorado right um but yeah growing up in the dirt and this age where 
I we pretty much had free range to do whatever and go wherever we wanted. To be a kid, mm-hmm. yeah, and not absolutely. feel like we were endangered or like our parents felt safe about it. And um, I don't think it's like that now. And and maybe it wasn't like that then, but I didn't know, you know. So, but I think it. I mean, things were definitely different in the 80s than they are now. Right. And we, I I mean, I never felt like we were in danger. We were in a safe community. And, and for those who've never like been on any sort of, you know, it's, it's not PC to call them reservations, but it's a reservation, you know, it's, it's incredibly depressed. And, um, but we essentially suppressed, suppressed (laughs) and oppressed, but, Mm -hmm. but we're, um, we essentially lived in a compound, which was like a campus, which was like a campus. Mm-hmm. It was, it was fenced in because, you know, for, for non-native people, you can't build on the land. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be a, a certain right. percent Native American. So it's like, and, it was like the, the, uh, it was like a, you called a unified school district. So the campus was where all the schools were. There mm-hmm. was the elementary, primary, middle school and the hospital. And then there was a high school five miles down the road. Right. And then there was like community or um, housing, I guess is what you would say. And that was for everybody, but a lot of like the doctors and teachers. Right. And, and there was native people who lived oh, yeah. uh, within the campus. But, you know, a, a lot of families would have their own little chunk of land. And so school buses would have to go, you know, hours, sometimes. Like hours mm-hmm. to, to go pick up kids mm-hmm. and and some of them were living in some pretty desolate areas and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But this is all stuff that we were pretty oblivious to until like, at least me, I was, I was oblivious to just kind of like how poor the communities were and, and things like that. Like, um, what was, what was going to school like there for you? Great. I had lots of friends and, and I remember, well, so, so we weren't, we're not Navajo or Diné, we're not Navajo, but we are uh, Hickory Apache from our mother's side and Spanish. So we're, we're people of color. We're not white. We're not, you know, we're not Caucasian and we can tell, but we would have, but I would definitely be considered a white girl on the res. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think that would add anything to do with the fact that we have light colored eyes? I think that probably could be a big significant part of it. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. We're dark. We're dark. I mean, obviously, yeah, we're, we're people of color, but I mean, yeah, you're right to the, to the natives. We were like, I got called Belagana all the time. Which means, yeah, white. <laughs> white boy, basically. <laughs> basically. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I had really great friends. And, and um, I remember getting in trouble once in, in kindergarten for one of my friends told me to call one of my other friends who was white to tell her to call her a Belagana. And I did. <laughs> and I got put in the corner. <laughs> Wait, who put you in the corner? <laughs> the teacher did. Because oh, you did I this called in her. School. Yeah. One of the kids told me to call her a white girl. Which teacher was that? Miss Finn? It was Miss Finn. <laughs> Kathy Finn, who was a great teacher. She was my kindergarten through second grade teacher. Yeah, shout She's out like to Miss Finn. Um, but I had, yeah, I had really great friends. I remember like playing a lot on the playgrounds and like having sleepovers and Mm -hmm. and like going down there was like the wash down the road yeah i felt like neither one of us like i mean we never had too much trouble making friends i mean you know we had i don't feel like we had a large circle of friends but we we kind of had our like our go-to people i never felt like an outsider there at all i did and and like you were so you had to go through like middle school and high school and i we had just left when i had started well i was seventh grade going on eighth grade when we left Mm-hmm. but um but your experience sounds like it was pretty positive yeah that's good mm-hmm. and so um what at at what age do you feel like you 
really started to gravitate towards stuff that felt a little more on the creative side. Like music and... Music, and, drawing. Well, I had always been into art. I don't, uh, I loved to draw. I drew a lot. I drew and I wrote stories. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and I wrote stories about, like, one story in particular was this, ever, like, I don't even know how many pages it was. My, I think my dad gave me his old computer, so I had this old computer in the room and, and that's right and it was a, write, it was an apple too yeah. <laughs> it was an apple too like one of the like when those things came out they were like top dollar it was huge dude <laughs> yeah floppy disks yeah and then i would write and one of my characters was this girl who who grew up to be like this famous pop star and uh she hung out with that's all these like right. musicians and oh that was gosh. like what was her name i don't i don't know i i don't know what her name was it was probably like you kind of wrote your own version something. of gem or like <laughs> or like the pussycat dolls right? yeah and but um so i think like i i hadn't even played music yet well, music was always in my life because of our mom and our dad who always had music and then our older brother ravi who came in and brought music and then you started playing music and then of course I followed suit because you were my you guys were my big brothers. I wanted to do everything you guys did. Sure, um, but I but yeah, but it started off as uh, story writing and drawing, drawing and water. Because our dad was a watercolor painter. I have too. also have a vague memory of like um, we had a dad bought a oh I made movies right. Dad I made bought movies. a <laughs> you made fun a, of me, you fucking uh, jerk all the time. I know that's <laughs> I probably know. like TikTok famous by now if I'd post this <laughs> shit. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I yeah. I I was just being a, a jerk, big brother. That's you're old. Yeah, that's part puberty. Of, part of the process of <laughs> looking cool in front of your friends is being a jerk to your younger siblings. But um, yeah. But I do remember that. Like you used to used to make um used to make movies and you they would, were so fun too. And you would also like. Rec- I remember you used to record yourself on the cassette recorders too. They sing and, like, into the yeah, cassette. sing into that and like make movies, do mm-hmm. drawings. So like, so so to me, you were always like creative, but you were kind of secretly creative. Oh yeah, I was like lock my door. Where I was like, I was really. I didn't want anybody to see. I was like really like proud to present my create like my creativity to mm-hmm. to the family. It's kind of like I took to that at a very young age. Where you. You seem to have this definitely more like in a vacuum sort of like, I do this because I enjoy it, but I don't really care that anybody sees it. But secretly, I do care. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> secretly, I do care. All right, guys, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> so um, in, in, what others, in what other ways did growing up on uh, the Navajo Nation impact you? Uh, and ceremony and, and, and tradition and, and the earth, like really those things are really important to me in my life then and now still as an adult. And how so? Like what what were your experiences with those things that, that led such an impact? Well, I think, um, I grew up with, with friends who had, it, it was kind of like, it was it was funny though. So sometimes the the really traditional kids would get made fun of by their peers for being traditional. Oh my gosh, I remember that. And I, I remember never, kids getting made fun of I for like smelling like fire that. smoke mm-hmm. or something and coming to school smelling like fire smoke. It's like, well, they lived in Hogan's and yeah. that was like how they warmed their houses. Mm-hmm. And I never understood that. I never understood why they uh, why you would make fun of your your culture and your traditions and 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 i get it because it was a we, form of hazing yeah well but and then just we as society do the same thing it, it doesn't matter what color your skin is we we don't we want to be we want to be like everybody else mm-hmm. which is sad because 
there's right. a lot of things that fade away if you want to be like everything else. Yeah, it's really, else. it's really unfortunate. Um, but I grew up, you know, with uh, friends and I, we would go, I would be, we would be invited to lots of different ceremonies like, um, sweats or, right. um, uh, puberty ceremonies, kinasta. I don't know if I, I mean, that's the closest I can say it, but that's like the woman's kinasta, yeah. Pu- pu- uh, pu- uh, puberty ceremony. And I know there's, we got invited to a, uh, an Apache one too. I can't, I don't know the uh, word for that, which makes me sad because I feel like you should learn it. Yeah. I know more about the Diné culture than I do about the Hickory Apache, which is well, where we were our emer- blood we is. We were emerged mm-hmm. in it. And I'd like I mean? to do, I'd like to know more yeah. and find more out about the Hickory side of us. And, and, and so our father, our father, uh, befriended a medicine man named Hank mm-hmm. and also, you remember Terry? I can't remember his last name, but there was Terry and oh God. I can't wish. I wish I could remember the name of of his wife, Cheryl. Maybe Terry and Cheryl. Oh yeah, the uh, gay. No, no, I think, oh. Yeah, yeah. Sharon. Terrell. Was it Terrell, Terrell and Sharon? There it is. Mm-hmm. Terrell and Sharon. Yeah, I went to school with their daughter. Uh, yeah, who was one of my really good friends. But but both of those, um, all those people that I just mentioned, were pretty like pretty involved in dad's spirituality too of him mm-hmm. like wanting to learn about sweat lodge wanting to mm-hmm. learn about the the tp and and different ceremonies like that and so we used to get taken around to stuff like that like i i personally didn't like i respected it and i i knew that it was important and it was important to to behave in a certain way but i don't feel like i gravitated to it um possibly as much as you did. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed to have, to have really made an impact on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why do you think it had such an impact on you? It just felt innate or what is it? I don't know. I don't know. It felt, I, the funny thing is I don't know because I have such a weird, I mean like my, my relationship with God or creator has been really strange the last few years. I'm really working on it. Sure. <laughs> so to, to feel so connected to the, the way of ceremony, I think a lot of it, it, um, is also community. Like you, you go into these ceremonies as you, and you don't, sometimes you don't know anybody, but you come out and you're, you're a family. You just spent, mm. you spent the, the, the evening or sometimes the whole night praying together, which That's is a really good point. Really like intense and really intimate. And, you know, and I know prayer is a, is a hard word for some people, but you know, or, so sometimes I just think of like, oh, well, you you thought all night, you had ideas, you gave thanks all night to whoever or whatever it is you right. believe in, or you just sat and talked to yourself or, you know. Yeah. And um, so community is a really big thing in ceremony and the connection we have to our, um, to the earth and to our ancestors and to our, and our, and uh, our relatives, like thinking that we're all. Knowing that we're all, we're all connected. We're all, we really are. It's not, there is no other. There mm-hmm. is no separateness, really. I mean, when it really comes down to it, we're all, sure. we're all, they're all related. And, is <laughs> and that's some, really beautiful. And is that something that you felt like um, came from the ceremony and came from that discipline and came from that, just that education? Or do you feel like that's something that's kind of always been inside of you that that's more or less been cultivated as, as you've, as you've. Uh, dove deeper into that I think maybe the, the latter of that because I like when I was when we would I would help a dad a lot so we had we had built a sweat lodge in our backyard and I remember that and I remember one of my favorite things to do was to to help him clean after the meetings 
I really loved to do that. I loved and what did that entail? So the, the sweat lodge is made out of um, will, usually willow branches or young saplings, and it's formed into a dome and tied. And then you're, you dig a pit in the middle of it for the rocks to go in. So a sweat is like, you know, a, a huge sauna, but a... Yeah. A traditional sauna. The traditional sauna. It's the womb. Um, mm. As all things are in ceremonies, you go back into the womb where you came from. Yeah. Um, and deal with your shit. Yeah. And deal with your shit. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Learn how to deal with it. And, and, um, and so, so there's the saplings that are tied together. And then in the middle is the, the pit to put the rocks. And outside is a big pit for the fire to warm the rocks. And there's usually an altar or a moon. Um, and then you drape everything over the, the, the saplings to create, right. you know. The, well, to make it pitch to dark, make it too. pitch dark, and to pitch dark and to keep. Which the heat usually, in. I mean, traditionally, it wasn't it's sort Hi, of sort it of hide. hides and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and sometimes it's canvas, and I think it's like a mixture of like canvas and blankets and. Yeah, I remember Dad used to do canvas blankets, and then I think he would do everything else in like trash liners. To yeah, make it, to like plug up the holes and stuff, and like waterproof that. it and stuff like that. But and um, but but and then you line the inside of it with with rugs so you have something to sit in yeah so we would take we would take all the tarps and the blankets off and or whatever was on top of it and shake everything out and we would um take out the rugs and shake out the rugs and we would sweep out the the area and clean out the fire pit and just just make it like your home i mean treat it you treat it good you treat it like your home you you want it to be you want it to leave things better than when you left them <laughs> oh i love i love knowing so it was this. my favorite part to do i love it. knowing this because i'm like i'm totally the opposite when it came to it one <laughs> like when i heard we were gonna have the ceremonies at our house i was like oh gosh you know what i mean like i was always i don't know why but i'd get like annoyed because that meant people were gonna be at our house yeah. i mean i'd have to talk to strangers mm-hmm. and i'd have to like you know and then i'd have to sweat and stuff so it's like yeah, I had such a like, oh, I guess I'll do it sort, mm-hmm. sort of approach. And I've come to really appreciate ceremony in my life. I've come to really appreciate that being a foundation in my life. But at the time, I I didn't get it. You yeah. know? And and I think you really absorbing that and like taking it in and, and wanting to like clean up and wanting to know what the things are like every like the sapling. I mean, everything you just described to me, I was like, I didn't I didn't retain or learn <laughs> any of that stuff. That's incredible. Yeah. So so obviously, um, living in Ganado not only kind of gave you a, a foundation of as as a creative person and as somebody who like uh, who really appreciates their community, but it also gave you a sense of spirituality and mm-hmm. gave you, also gave you a sense of like ownership over a ceremonial process and 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 purpose and that that's incredible. It's I I, I think that. Um, Community is a really good word. I remember um, both our parents were raised Catholic, but mm-hmm. you know, but also weren't devout or Mm-mm. wouldn't be. I wouldn't <laughs> consider them strict Catholics. But we did go to a little Catholic church in Ganado. Do you a remember that? Presbyterian. Was it a Presbyterian mm-hmm. church? Then I think I don't know. I don't know the difference there. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to offend anybody, but but we went to a church that I at least thought was Catholic. I know mm-hmm. that there was a father who gave the sermon. It was really nice, and he was really great. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I remember my favorite part of that was always the "peace be with you" part. Oh yeah, was was when we get when to, you could to shake your you neighbor's to, hand. Yeah, shake and... your neighbor's hand or give a hug mm-hmm. and, and and a little blessing and the, the "peace be with you." It's like I really looked forward to that mm-hmm. part because like that. That that to me was like the just having that sort of exchange and interaction. Mm-hmm. It did feel like a family, and like so when you mentioned 
the ceremony to you like being like this you go in together mm-hmm. and and you have this experience together you're kind of you're kind of bonded for life mm-hmm. at that point you've have, yes. you've you've prayed mm-hmm. together you've you've been vulnerable together you've kind of deconstructed your ego mm-hmm. and when you come out of that yeah you you see each other in a much different way i mean and that's one thing i can say even though i had such a strange attitude towards ceremony and strangers being at our house and all Mm -hmm. that i could honestly say that every time i left that lodge i knew exactly Mm -hmm. what you're talking about i felt that magic i felt that connection to community and to spirit and i didn't have an education nor did i have a language to really communicate it at the time i Mm -hmm. think but i felt it absolutely and it was a big part of our our childhood and and i can't tell you how thankful i've been for you um taking that so seriously and paying attention mm-hmm. and, and carrying it on into your adult life. Doing my best. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, but you really are. So, so that was Ganado for you, which sounded like it was a pretty positive experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what age, um, kind of, uh, got you in more into, because it sounds like at this point, um, you're into art, you're into like making videos, you, you kind of stumble into the world of ceremony and, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of vibe. Like at what age did you start getting more focus and discipline towards being a creator when it comes to music? Oh, I don't even know if I'm disciplined now. <laughs> I'm still working on that one too. But um, music, I, let's see, um, I, well, watching you guys play guitar I always sang though I had had always been a singer I guess Mm -hmm. that's where it started and I always say that the little mermaid is the reason why I sing (laughs) I mean the little mermaid came out I think when I was three or two two or three and I like just I wouldn't let anybody sing it if mom tried to sing it I'd cover her mouth and like that was I was I love I got it just a little sidebar (laughs) I love the full circle of that because Matea yeah when you're on stage Matea is my niece, Chayla's daughter. When when Chayla's on stage, Matea does whatever she can to try to get Chayla to stop singing. I think it's because we took her on the road too soon. Yeah. She yeah. was an eight week. No, she was she turned four weeks on the road. Oh my gosh. Four weeks old. Oh my so, god. So so when she hears you sing, I think it, it kind of triggers her a little yeah, bit. Yeah, or she knows that I'm not with her. Anyway, that was a little, um, little sidebar. Still does. But so that. the Little Mermaid is like you're you're like that's it. I want to be a singer moment. Yeah. I want, I, I was this, I, I was a singer and I sang. So I, I like, it was funny how you mentioned how you remember that I used to sing into the stereos. I would listen to yeah. stuff on the radio and I would sing. I, I'd forgotten that I did that. Yeah, but I did absolutely. that all the time. You did. I would record my, my I mean, and, and it wasn't wrote, that good. And then. you wrote about pop singers and you're like, I mean, yeah. Dang, did I, did I make fun of you out of being TikTok famous? I think you did. <laughs> we could have bags of cash right now. And he, this is all, this is fault. all my fault. <laughs> no, that's incredible. So, I mean, th- so there's always been a part of you that's like, this is something that it, that I need to do. This, this is something. Is just, this is a part of you that needs. I don't think I ever thought about it, though. It was just, it was just a part of me. It was, right. Singing was a part of me. Singing was what I wanted to do. And um, and I think I was in choir and in, in like um, third and fourth and through fifth grade. We had a really great choir teacher. And I remember... Who was your choir teacher? Oh, was it Miss Moya? It wasn't Miss Moya. Oh, okay. That was yours. It was another woman. All I think right. we had two. All right. But I remember that we did like uh, we did Pocahontas. We did the uh, which is funny. We did Pocahontas, the Disney's. <laughs> that is a little Disney. interesting. Yeah, I don't know why. I think it's probably because our music teacher was white. Um, 
I remember the Navajo kids being pretty stoked on Pocahontas. No, which is yeah, a weird thing. totally, and that's whatever. It's fine. Um, they like but Pocahontas I remember, and Selena. Yeah, I remember being really bummed that I was like, I wanted to try out, and like, because I knew that I would get the main part, and I didn't, and I still like, I still think that's like my only regret in life. Is, <laughs> is you didn't I, get the cast as Pocahontas. I didn't get to just sing. I just didn't get to sing the songs in front of people. That's oh. because I was real private and quiet, and, gotcha. and wanted to oh, keep man. it to myself. I never knew that. But anyway, so singing was always a part of my life. And then um, our mother, who was, um, we had, we were going to go to a funeral up in Denver. And um, she, we stopped in Gallup at the time. So Gallup was an hour away and it was the biggest, the big city. And there was a pawn shop next door to this coffee shop that you used to play at. And it was a, called the coffee shop. The coffee shop and a tattoo parlor. <laughs> so there right. was a coffee shop, a tattoo parlor, and the, and the pawn theater. shop and the theater. Yeah, that's right. And um, my mom, she went into the pawn shop and she bought me a um, folk, a classical folk epiphone guitar. Oh, really? And that's where that came from? Mm-hmm. Whoa. And it's a beautiful guitar. It's huge. It's not like a small, it's a big uh, uh, classical guitar, not yeah. like a, but with the, the neck isn't as thick as a classical would be, but it's wide and it's a big body. And um, we drove to Denver. I was 11 at the time and mom was a little elevated. So I drove from, I think I drove from like. What do you mean by elevated? <laughs> well, our, our mom is man, a manic depressive bipolar. So she was a little elevated. She wasn't full out blown manic, but she was elevated enough that she was like, I'm going to take a road trip to Denver. And um, our dad thought it was a good idea to let his 11 year old daughter go there. <laughs> <laughs> he probably just needed a freaking break. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally get that. He had you and Cody still. Um and I remember driving from Antonito to Denver. So 11 years old. I was a good driver, though. I think I, I, you learned, drove? I learned how to drive when I was like nine years old on the roads. Yeah, I drove. <laughs> Mom yeah. let me Which drive. Which is not, not an uncommon not thing living out, living out where we Nobody's did in Ganado. Mm-hmm. But they all, everybody drove. And everybody, yeah. Nobody had licenses. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, that's just something you had to do. It's how, like, when you were old enough to drive, you, that's how you helped out the family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I drove and um, we drove, we ended up in Denver and, and this is another memory you reminded me of. You asked me if our cousin taught me how to play guitar and I, and it, it's true. Our cousin Nathan taught me. Um, Shout out to Bouillon. Yeah. Taught me uh, <laughs> that Red Hot Chili Peppers could, could have lied or should have lied. Could have lied. Yeah. Taught me the, at the beginning. And um, so that was my start of guitar. And I think by then you and, and Ravi were already playing or you had probably already had lessons because you're the golden child and, <laughs> and I was like well I want to play guitar too but I'm just going to teach myself because I don't need any help <laughs> <laughs> you're such a middle child <laughs> um, but it didn't but I didn't get serious about it until I was 19 about guitar like I still are always saying and like and you were always really cool even though you were like the colder brother and I wanted to tag along with you all the time, which I did. And you let me like you still would let me come and sing songs with you when you would do open mics. Like oh, you, yeah. were, you were always really supportive of me singing. Well, that's nice and of I me. thought that was really cool. <laughs> so thanks. I hope that made up for all the, <laughs> I all the fuckery <laughs> in Ganado. <laughs> it did. It was really nice. So thanks. Because I yeah, remember. Absolutely. Like, I remember when I discovered No Effects. Mm-hmm. The, my, like I, I spent a summer in Alamosa 
And that was like my summer. That was like my my first summer kissing a girl, smoking <laughs> cigarettes, getting drunk, joined a punk rock band. And I remember coming home from that summer having discovered punk rock music. Mm-hmm. And I remember I I just started pouring through liner notes on every album I'd buy. And eventually I, I discovered this band, No Effects, and I bought this album I heard they suck live <laughs> and the first song on that record is linoleum yeah and it was just like like my little I don't know if I was I was probably 14 or 15 my 15 year old brain yeah. was completely blown mm-hmm. and I and it's like I had never thought about harmony singing before I listen I mean we grew up listening to the Beatles we right. grew up listening to the Beach Boys we grew up listening to a lot of vocal we groups and arrangements mm-hmm. but Never until that moment had I ever thought about two voices singing. It's like, oh, they're not just they're not just mirroring each other. These aren't just voices that are singing, singing the same together. parts. Mm-hmm. These are voices that are splitting off and, and singing counter melodies. And I don't know why it took me so long for that, and why it took punk rock music for for me to really like make that happen, but it did. And I remember coming home that summer and sitting down with you and mom <laughs> and me. I was like, okay, I'm Fat Mike. <laughs> And then you were El Jefe and Mom, you're Melvin. You know what I mean? And, and I remember sitting down and learning no effects songs with and you teaching guys. the parts. And I remember like that coming really natural to me too. Yeah, like harmony singing coming. We like, worked oh, on the I song. Can, I know what I'm. We like, worked on the song um, "Leave It Alone." Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it was that. it was me, you, and, and Mom. Um, scavenger type too. I yeah. remember that one. <laughs> I, I just remember like punk rock, like. It, it's like, you know how the Sublime record starts off with punk rock saved by life? Well, it's like, <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it just opened up a whole world. But I remember that being a very shining moment because I always, it's it's kind of like you were saying earlier where it's like, I'll just do it on my own. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't have anybody who really, I had a few friends who, who maybe wanted to play in a band, but maybe like 10% of the time because they were so mm-hmm. into basketball and football. Mm-hmm. And so I really had that mentality too of like, oh, nobody wants to do this all the time. So I'll just do it on my own. And singing harmonies was like the first thing where I was like, I can't do this on I my need own. Somebody. I need, and I really like, I had to like look, like look around the room. It was like you, you, <laughs> come in here now. I'm so glad. And I remember just we, sitting down and figuring out the harmony parts mm-hmm. for for these no effects songs, and and yeah, and I think not only was my mind blown by figuring out with harmonies, but my mind was also blown by you that you just you really responded to that, yeah. and you were like you kind of jumped right into the groove of, of working in that way. And we kind of haven't stopped working mm-hmm. that way since. Not really, not at all. Like even this, this new, this new project that we're working on is, feels like a total extension of mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? So that's really cool. Yeah. I love that. Me too. Absolutely. So, so mom buys you a classical guitar. You get taught some chords um, by our cousin, Nathan. And, um, and w- w- what's the age group at this point? <clears throat> I'm 11. You're 11? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. For I mean, that particular like road trip. I think I learned that the makes sense. Collide and, and you were 14. So you yes. probably spent the summer. So and, this was like right or all around the same time. Yeah. And, um, and um, I think I learned Dust in the Wind too. And I don't even know who who sings Dust in the Wind. Kansas? I <laughs> Toto? Know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Toto? That would be know. too funny. But it was a great song to learn. Cause, and I learned that. Those are the two songs I learned. <laughs> Was it Kansas or Dodo? <laughs> it was know if Dorothy. It's of them. It was Dorothy. Um, but, yeah, um, so I'm 11. <clears throat> so, um, how old were you when we moved to to Pueblo? I was, I think I let's see, I was gonna. I think I was 14 going on 15 or 13 going on 14. We moved to Pueblo June of 2000. Right. 
Yeah. Um, I'm not. So yeah, around then. 13. Hey, what was I was that, even 13 What was that change like for you? I remember like, I remember being excited to go somewhere new. And we'd, I mean, we had grown up coming to Colorado during those summers and the winters and, and holidays. So it wasn't like it was a foreign place. No. And our family's from Colorado. Yeah. So it's like. And we had already, we had always driven through Pueblo, but we never stopped. Did um, you ever, did you ever find it interesting? And this just came up just now. I, I hadn't even thought about this, but so, so our mom, who's, who's manic depressive and bipolar, like anytime that she would get to the point where she was, um, unreconcilable, in other words, where dad couldn't care for her any longer and she couldn't, she couldn't be treated in normal hospitals, she'd get sent to the state hospital in Colorado. The state hospital in Colorado is here in Pueblo. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought how that might have felt to mom to move to the place where she basically got put in jail every time she couldn't get her stuff together. I can't even imagine. I know. That's got to be hard. I've never thought about that one either. Yeah. So so we're moving to Pueblo. You'll have to interview mom next. I know. It's a real healing there. (laughs) I know. I got to get her. I got to get her in here so I can deal with my trauma. (laughs) Hers too. (laughs) And hers too. Absolutely. But no, I love my mom. We we love our mom. She's, she's a caring. She is the best, mm-hmm. and she's one of the funniest people ever. Mm-hmm. The she's, funniest. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the funniest. You know, so, um, so we're living in Pueblo, and and what's what's that shock like to you, or is it a shock oh, yeah. at all? Yeah. Yes, it was kind of. I so I started eighth grade, mm-hmm. and the girls were so mean to me. Like they were meaner. They were meaner to me here than than growing up in the rest. How were I they was, mean? I was part of. The red. I was part of the people, like the my friends. You had your community. I had my there. friends. I had my community there. I was part of it. I was considered like um, adopted to a lot of families, you know. So, <clears throat> so Pueblo. I started eighth grade at PSAS, where my dad taught. He was like, That's I think the he Pueblo was, School of Arts and Science. Yeah, um, yeah. It started eighth grade year puberty well no i mean i guess it, it would have been like after i had it would have been after puberty but, during, but still you know, formative lots years. of that going on yeah lots <laughs> of teen angst and teen angst going into high school next going through some changes and, and kind and... of charter school where it's a lot of the you know um so yeah so the girls were really mean they like i got called like a uh, stinky pit girl and heidi fleiss who i didn't know who heidi fleiss was she's like a like um uh, a madam she had like run a brothel or something where, where i don't even know i don't know where the girls got that from but it's they because me the that. guys were into you <clears throat> oh yeah the guys loved me i was the new girl <laughs> the guys were into you so the so that the easiest thing to do is to call it is to slut shame you mean, totally slut shaming me and i wasn't even like i wasn't even Slutting sexual up, at all right? not even i hadn't even kissed a boy well no i did kiss a boy i kissed two boys before then. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um but um I found my little, like, I found a few friends and. <clears throat> Who like, are the friends that you end up befriending? My friends age? were like the, like, um, let's see if I can remember. Who carried on? They were like the artists. They were the artists and the, and the, the nerd kids and, and mm. like, that's who. But, but PSAS kind of. That's a lot of who the kids are, right. too. You know, um, but they're you like found the, a your, little bit of the alternative. You found your counterculture kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But then also at the same time, you you were like going into the skateboard culture. And I wanted to, I really just wanted to tag along with you. Right. So also I was like, okay, well, I have my friends over here in eighth grade, but I'd rather hang out with my brother. <laughs> 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 and that's what we did. 
like yeah. on the weekends and stuff. And is this when your when your rebellious Margot Tenenbaum no. persona got started? My, 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 well, actually, yeah, I used to I used to sneak cigarettes from the parents all the time, even though I didn't know how to inhale yet. But I think how old were you when you started doing the that? The first time I snuck a cigarette from our dad, it was on the res, so I had to have been like probably like 11 i did that a few times and then God, like, i smoke camel filters yeah Gross. and then in like in middle school i think i snuck a cigarette and pretended that i smoked even though i didn't know how to inhale but then you know high school came along and i actually started smoking and that's when Margot tannenbaum came so do you feel like um it sounds like so you you found your little camp and your crew at psas but for the most part kids were not really accepting of you probably because you were a pretty new girl yeah um what was your experience moving from psas to a high school so you moved to central i went from psas to central Central high school <clears throat> uh freshman year i was still like a little naive why didn't you go to East High School? That's the one by our house. I didn't go to East because Dad uh, was a coach, was a coach at Central, but he also worked at PSAS, so I gotcha. think it was just on the way. I have no idea, or if, unless I just decided, hey, I want to go to Central. I don't know why I went to Central. Mm, yeah. I think that was it, though, that he was a coach there, so they, like, squoze me in or something. Gotcha. Um, so freshman year, I still had some of the friends from PSAS went there so I still had a little like a couple of friends that I'm still friends with today a little bit um not as close but I still know them but then eventually you like break away from those middle school relationships and you develop your own or you find another crew of people <clears throat> excuse me and then I and that's when I think I started to get like so rebellious <laughs> who's this crew of people <laughs> so well let's see let's see freshman year Freshman year, freshman year, um, I'm still hanging out with like, gosh, I don't really remember freshman year. I remember freshman year meeting. That's when like the senior boys started to notice me. And then that's when, that's when the sex stuff happened. <laughs> yeah. And then I think sophomore year is when I met my crew of friends that I'm still friends with now. Like my, my really good friend, Amanda and Ryan and Leslie, who I love dearly, mm -hmm. like we're still super close and like. They were the weed smokers and the artists and the partiers. <laughs> I, I think I started dating a senior Brian worker who had passed away a couple years ago. Um, I started dating him and he, they their class, the senior class was like the life of the party. They were the funnest senior class ever. Mm -hmm. So I was a sophomore dating a senior and it was just nonstop party on the weekends. Wow. <clears throat> and so what was your high school experience like? when it came to that so how how did you do in school horrible <laughs> i mean I had like a 1.7 gpa Kayla. i didn't give a shit i didn't care i like freshman year i think i was in honors english and i lost my virginity during <laughs> no let's not talk about that <laughs> our parents no, are gonna listen it. to it oh it's all right <laughs> i lost my virginity during lunch hour i think and that Your freshman was, year? Mm -hmm. Dude, that's amazing. It was too young. It was too young. But um Wait, how old are you as a freshman? Like fifteen. That's about right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I don't, let's cut that part out. I don't want that on there. <laughs> you can edit that. <laughs> no, we don't edit this show. You said it. No. <laughs> anyway, okay, so freshman what what we what were we talking about? Just your high school vibe. Your education. My, my really. education sucked. Yeah. Because I, I didn't care. I, I didn't like I didn't realize I was here, which is funny because our dad was like, you just 
just drop out and get your GED. Why was he such an advocate for us to drop out of school? GED. Because it's bullshit. That's why. High school was a joke. I didn't, I don't remember anything. When I went to college, I had to relearn everything and, and, Mm. but I was actually capable of paying attention and like wanting to learn. Sure. And I did. Like I really enjoyed, I found out that I enjoyed math in college and I started from like, you know, um, the bottom of the bottom of basic math to college algebra. And but I there was, like, was comprehension. Oh, I get this. I get a teacher was... who who has the capacity to teach right. the amount of students that they have in high school. Like these kid these teachers are so burnt out and then they have to stick to the And you're also just dealing with a lot of like cultural politics and hormones and, mm-hmm. and kids who and are administration just... and stuff. Yeah. So high school was dumb. It was stupid. But I still wanted to graduate, so I did. <laughs> did you end up graduating early? How I did. did you pull that off? I graduated I went to night school. I don't I don't know why. I just like well, I'm gonna graduate early. I wanna get out of Pueblo. <laughs> what was your plan? What was the motivation behind that? My plan was to just travel. Was that yeah. that was just what I wanted to do. I didn't really I don't think I had like I didn't I didn't know like what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do at all. I was like, well, I just want to travel and figure it out. I didn't want to did. go to college, right? But you away. did that, right? I did. I <clears throat> um that would have been my senior year. Like two thousand five was when I graduated, but two thousand four was when I finished school. I finished school that summer of two thousand or the spring of two thousand five. Mm. Right? No, it would have been the spring of 2004 because then I had the fall off and then we graduated in 2005 or something like that. I don't know. Um, I went to night school at he- uh, Keating. Keating, which was across, across the, the street. street. Yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. And that was, that was kind of silly too. It was kind of just like... It just looked good, I guess. I don't know. They but kind you're of, motivated. I mean, you. Have, I was motivated. You had mo- motivation to like. So you have. You have. A, you're an honor student. You've always I was not an honor student. But no, you're an honor student an as a as a as a freshman. Yeah, you're an honor student as a freshman, and then soft. You, you discover sex. Sophomore. Yeah. Sophomore <laughs> yeah. year kind of drops That's off. Right. And then right around your junior slash senior year, you're probably like, okay, well. I do want to graduate, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm really proud of you for like, because. I told dad I hated high school and he gave me the same speech. He's like, you should just drop out. You're wasting your time. Which makes sense though. I mean, like, in it retrospect. does. But I'm kind of glad that you you didn't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. There's Sticking something to ab- something. There's is... just something about finishing something okay. because well, that, that would plague me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Is that I've always gotten three quarters of the way through everything. Mm-hmm. Through everything, Chayla. I've really had to push past that. And I'm only learning how to do that now. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that you saw something through to completion because I think that that just at least psychologically, I think it's really mm-hmm. good to finish things yeah. that we, you know, and I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but I know that that's something that I'm personally working through that. Yeah. I get 90% done with everything. Right. And then I'm then like, who cares? Mm-hmm. I get to the who cares part. Mm-hmm. And dad. No, I like to finish things. Yeah, I know. It's really good. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> it's really good. And so you finished high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember having your um, graduation party at, at the parents' house. I bought mm-hmm. you an iPod mini. That, that awesome. was awesome for thing. my road trip. That was a thing yeah. back then. They had the iPod minis. I loaded it up with music. And a I little knew, purple one. I remember that you um, you had just gotten a car. It was a little Saturn. A Saturn. Which I ended up crashing a little Saddest later in life. Day of my I'm life. so sorry, <laughs> but I remember that being a pretty monumentous occasion. I mean, you had graduated high school. You made up in your mind that okay, I'm 
I'm going, I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. I did. So the mistake was, was that I took my boyfriend with me. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. And this was, this wasn't Brian Worker. <laughs> no, this wasn't, this was, uh, another Steve, um, which isn't not a mistake as an, I regret it, but I think that it kind of deterred what I was originally going for, which is kind of just to find yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I found myself with another person, you know, which is, can kind of shift things a little bit not, sure. it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but. You know, you kind of lose focus a little bit. <clears throat> so right. I graduated. Where did you go when you traveled? I went all up and down the North Pacific. So from uh, California all the way up to almost Canada, which I wanted to. We probably could have at the time because I don't think he needed a passport yet, but we didn't quite make it that far. Because oh, essentially, I think we ran out of money. <laughs> or I ran out of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and then we went, but our, had, our but, sister, but let's, let's roll, let's roll back a little bit because you had jobs too. You oh were, yeah. I you worked. weren't just like, you weren't just going to school and like having a crazy oh, social life and, I wor- and partying. I went to you school. were a worker. I, I remember that. I went to school. I went to night school and I worked, I worked at PT's Wings and Ribs, which is now like a. Which is not a strip club. Not a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a strip club called PT's in Denver. Thanks for clarifying. There's no, it was PT's Wings and Ribs, which is like a pizza place or next to a pizza place and on the bull in but it was like a wannabe Hooters for sure. Sure, they had short oh, yeah. shorts. Short and like, shorts. It yeah. didn't start off like that, but it turned into that. Like short shorts, tank tops, hula hooping on the. I yeah. was like bartending when I was eighteen years old. So I mean, so that that paints a little better picture because yeah, sure you're sure you're maybe lacking in school a little bit. You're partying. You're like mm-hmm. you're having a social life. You're mm-hmm. you got boyfriends. You're sneaking cigarettes. You're <laughs> you're having this whole life. But you're also. I remember you being a very hard worker. Mm-hmm. I remember you. I you all the money you saved. I mean, and then so I got money from graduation and saved all. Of that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but but when you say I ran out of money, yeah, you took was, a boyfriend yeah. along who wasn't <laughs> making money. I mean, no. you literally ran out of money mm-hmm. that you had saved up mm-hmm. for a trip that you wanted to go on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just something I felt was worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. You know, so. You make it up the coast, and what's was the farthest north you end up going? Uh, Bell, I can't quite remember. Bellingham, now. Bellingham, Bell, something Washington. Could be Bellingham. Um, Bellingham is like like the northwest. Yeah, tip. it was way north north. It was yeah, like we, it's uh, Bellingham. We had stayed at a f- mutual friend's. Like they had like moved in this, this cabin or house right on the lake. It was really nice. And he, um, don't you end up doing psychedelics out there? Oh, yeah, I did psychedelics. I had started doing psychedelics after I graduate, like early graduation, the first time I tripped mushrooms. Yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not bypass bypass the psychedelics portion of your life because that's a pretty big moment. Yeah, in high school, I mean, I was relatively, I was always the like cautious one of my friends, you know, like still are. I still am. I'm still like, guys, I don't think we should be doing that. You know, and you're I'll, such a, like a, a rebel and a rule follower <laughs> at, at the, the same, same time. time. It's really conflicting. It's my Sagittarius <laughs> and my Virgo. They're really conflicting. Oh my gosh. Um, so still am. So my friend, like I was always the cautious one, but I, so I didn't, I really only, I drank and I smoked a little bit of pot, you know, in high school. Mm-hmm. And then after high school is when I like, okay, well, I, you know, did the other stuff. I, um, my, I did mushrooms for the first time mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't that intense. And then I did it for the second time. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Well, there you have it, friends, a special podcast with a wonderful human and mother on this Mother's Day. 
You can check out Chayla's work at Roadside Remedies on Instagram and check out our new band at Little Ghost Band. That's going to be a really fun project to get out into the world. Really excited about that. Do not forget to tune in next week when we conclude this two-part episode with my sister, Chayla Lujan. And don't forget to join me on YouTube every Tuesday for Hanging Out. Season finales coming up May 22nd. And I'll see you there. Happy trails. Mm-hmm.